Hello again, and welcome to the very latest edition of the Selvius Godcast. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel, awaiting a room at the airport. Can we just please get Zach a room? He's been traveling all morning. He just wants to go lie his head on a pillow for a few minutes. I mean, is that too much to ask? Traveling all morning? I think the flight was 47 minutes from Cleveland <laughs> to Chicago. I'm just uh, trying to th- give Those you are some. always the best. Just a little benefit of the doubt. Come on, man. As uh, for clarity's I, sake, I'm not staying. I, I don't need a room at the airport. <laughs> I need a room at the Marriott. Um, so it is going to be probably a, a hellacious week for you. That's why I thought it, at least you deserved some bit of good news to lead it off. But it's not going to be that way, unfortunately, for you. And now you have to record a stupid podcast with me. We do appreciate everyone who joins us this week. And, of course... They're just as interested as we are as what's going to happen over the next week or so leading into what could be a lengthy October or could not just not even happen. And I guess it's fitting for you that your week of chaos starts off this way, right? I mean, that's what you've been rooting for and what you've been hoping for. So let's get started. It's, it's self-inflicted, though, that nobody cares about this, and but whatever. Uh this whole podcast is taking people behind the scenes of okay, not so, just the players' lives, but also our lives too. So the greatest it benefit the greatest benefit of traveling is that you rack up tons of points for airlines and hotels and um so I have a certain you know, the the Marriott, I'm their favorite customer and they reward me with free upgrade nights where I can upgrade to one of the best rooms in the hotel. And you rack up so many of those and you have to use them by the end of the year. So when you get to September, I have to burn through these or they just go to waste. So I decided, ah, what the hell? I'll just upgrade to whatever they've got just because otherwise, like, why not? Nothing to lose. Except for the fact that there were only three rooms in the hotel that have the upgrade features I upgraded to. So... I might not get my room till early mid afternoon. So that's, we can record for, a, let's do like a three hour podcast. <laughs> Lead us all the way up to game time. Um, so we've been laying this out for a couple of weeks now, but now we're finally here where you can actually project not just who they're playing and where the other teams are going to be and what you need them to do, but also looking at pitching matchups and, who would line up for a potential one-game playoff or a wild-card game. And we've talked about, I mean, you asked me last week who would be the one guy for for me that I would want with the ball in a one-game, you've got to win it scenario. And at the time, I said Clevenger, but Bieber is right there. And right now, as it stands, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it would be Mike Clevenger in the finale to, I, w- I would imagine, with the way this is shaking out, Decide where they're going to end up, be, whether it's going to be a, a one-game playoff against the, the Rays or a just leading into trying to take that spot and play against the, the A's. But either way, you're going to have those two guys on the mound when it probably is mattering the most. And if you're going to draw it up one way or, the another, or another and you have your, the, the, just your way of being able to do things laid out in front of you, this is this is it for the Indians, right? This is exactly how you'd want to have this wrap up with your two best pitchers uh, available and should be lined up for where you need them. 
Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, we came into the season thinking, okay, it was going to be some order of Kluber, Carrasco, Bauer, Clevenger, Bieber. And now it's like, do everything you can to make sure Clevenger and Bieber, the guys who are at the back of that rotation, uh, to make sure that they're pitching your most important innings. And so they, they capitalize on the off day Monday. They push back Aaron Savali. That allows Clevenger to pitch tonight in the series opener against Chicago. He'll then obviously be available for game 162. But but they're not they're not committing to anything beyond the Chicago series yet because, like you said, things can get weird. And you have to keep an eye on what the Nationals are doing. You have to keep an eye on, obviously, what the Rays and the A's are doing. Um, it's... It's going to be weird, and it's basically just going to be all hands on deck. I mean, you're going to get to Friday and Saturday, and you're probably going to have to have Plutko and Plesak start those two days. But I think it's going to be super, super quick hook. Go to Carrasco for a few innings. Go to whomever. um, Because you have obviously no margin for error, but also odds are the Nationals are going to be jockeying for position to it seems like it's going to be the nationals and the brewers right and and so then it comes down to who's hosting who in the wild card game can you avoid max scherzer this weekend you're you're hoping the nationals don't have as much to play for i mean there's just like like i really think terry francona preaching just take it one day at a time don't look ahead it's almost a gift and a curse this week because you want the players to do that but from the coaching front office planning standpoint, you, you have to think about the entire week because you have to you obviously need to win every game, but you need to give yourself the best chance to probably win five or six games this week and to stay on top of Tampa. And it's just it's chaos. I cannot imagine being the manager, being a front office member and trying to put all these puzzle pieces together and figure out how you can give yourself the best chance of, of winning as many games as possible. This fall. I mean, it's, I mean, it's you, you give up, you give a special shout out though, to fans for the past few years that lamented the fact that the Indians could just set up things the way they wanted and they go into the postseason, and it, it doesn't end up working out in their favor. And everyone always goes to the, well, if they would have had something to play for and would have stayed sharp down the stretch, they would have been prepared for these games. Well, here you go. This is the alternative where you don't know if you have a spot. If you do have a spot, it's for a one-game playoff, more than likely. And it is really all hands on deck. In some ways, it makes it fun, probably, for a manager and a coaching staff because this is kind of what you, you live for, to be able to put your guys in the best position to succeed and pull out all the stops and not necessarily have to worry about tomorrow if you got to win today and you you can do things like we saw over the the weekend where it's hey, go to Carlos Carrasco in a key spot and let him stay out there for a while and I, I know it kind of gets lost in the the fact that they ended up routing the Nationals in in that game but Carrasco gave them some huge outs and you know we when we talked about him originally coming back we weren't sure what version of himself he was going to be and I don't think anybody could have really known that projected that what I, I envisioned in my mind is kind of what he ended up doing in that game. And it's, I mean, it's blessing for him to be able to do this as we've talked about uh, since the diagnosis became public, but it's also a blessing 
in that he is starting to finally look like himself and being it looks like he's going to be able to fill that role that we talked about that fireman multi-inning be able to come into a game whenever they need him because it is going to be a very critical role I feel like this week to be able to to do those sorts of things to bridge the gap and 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 try to get to the back end of the bullpen yeah to me he might be the most important player this week um I think because that another question, like, if he pitches two innings one day, where is he at? Can he pitch again the next day? Can he pitch again two days later? Like, what? I'm interested to see how much they can use him. Obviously, I think it's it's almost easy to forget the fact that he's coming back from leukemia. And, like, fatigue is a pretty common thing here. So you want, you want to make sure you aren't overexerting him and and relying on him too heavily uh but i'm i'm interested to see how he gets used because if it's possible i'd probably want him for like friday and sunday um but then another thing and i I know you got to win to get in but like you have to also think about monday like if you go into sunday and odds are game 162 is gonna count for something like, if you have that game in hand and things look okay, you don't want to burn everybody because you might need them Monday. You might need them Wednesday. I mean, there's just – there's so much to think about. And for a pitching staff that has been running on fumes essentially since April when Clevenger went down and then Kluber went down and then Carrasco went down, and they've been just patching it together ever since, like, it's going to be – be fascinating to see how they piece together these six games and then maybe a seventh and then maybe an eighth and then if they make the division series go from there yeah i am just as curious as you and you bring up a good point about carrasco bouncing back we have no idea how that's gonna work uh, but he he did give them some some big outs over the weekend well i mean think about ended up getting spread out yeah think about the difference in the bullpen from what it was the last few weeks. And then you add Carrasco finally feeling like he's got his legs under him and pitching the way we've seen him pitch the last couple times out. Plus Brad hand. If he yeah. is back to his normal self, his outing Saturday was fantastic. The issue is that like, so the, the potential for the bullpen is night and day. The issue is there's so much unknown. Brad <laughs> hand has yeah. pitched once in two weeks and you don't know how he's going to bounce back. Can he pitch on back-to-back days and be effective? Um, it, it's there's so much that's unknown, and so it's going to be really, really interesting. Um, you know, we we talked about how the last few years, like the last couple of weeks, haven't mattered. I remember when the Indians finished the 22 game winning streak, and then we went to Seattle and then Anaheim, and those games were so weird because they meant nothing, and the team was playing well, but, like, who cared? It was basically just set up your rotation, get to the playoffs. Like, this is so different where I'm really intrigued every day this week. And you're monitoring other teams. And you're you're seeing, okay, well, today the Indians are a half game back. To, tomorrow they're a half game up. And then it's just like, like, it's never, there's never a day where you can catch your breath and... There are just so many storylines. I don't know. I'm once again my my weekly talk in circles because I don't know what point I'm trying to make. But this week is just so fascinating 
in so many ways. And the pitching staff is probably the top one to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm. What if you get to a 162 where you need to win it, and I mean, you you, you might need to win it to to win the second wild card. You might need to win it to tie the Rays and force the the tiebreaker game. Do you see a scenario where Clevenger struggles early in the game, they pull him, and Bieber's in the game? And it's like, well, I, you know, who, who cares about it? Because if we don't win today, you don't make it to tomorrow. You know, that's the, the mindset that they might have to take. It's, it's what makes it fun. I'm sure it makes it frustrating. It's what makes a pennant race a pennant race. And um, there's something that I just love about the way the final weeks in September can go, where I know I'm in the minority here, but having so many players on these rosters now when they ex- can still expand to 40 games, I actually enjoy. I know you hate it every time there's a pitching change, and I know you, you've, you've made that clear to me through text messages that we've had on the topic, but there's something I just love about managers getting to go to matchups in the third inning, uh, getting to pull a pitcher and they're going to try to bring somebody out for, for multiple innings out of the bullpen. And maybe he throws from the other side. So you go to a pinch hitter in the fourth inning. It's just things you don't normally see. I know it makes it somewhat of a different game than what has played or what has been played up to the final month. But I, there's something about that, that strategy and that ability to just put your best players that, that are good at one particular thing in those roles where they can thrive. Uh, even it, it enables Bradley Zimmer to play a role on this team where there's so it's, it's like, they think he's like allergic to a bat right now, but he's still able to, to potentially play a, a critical role in this final week, you know, whether it's coming in to, to steal a bag or playing some defense to be able to put guys in a position where you can, you can pull the plug early and you can really legitimately pull out all the stops. I really love, and I'm going to miss when they go away from being able to expand the rosters to 40 games or 40 players. I know it makes for some really lengthy games with pitching changes in the middle of these innings, but there's, there's something about seeing the best against the best in certain situations that I've, I've loved over the years, and I'm going to miss it when it's no longer here. Yeah, I think the only difference is like, are the White Sox going to pull out all those stops to try to win these next three games? I think that's why you see, I mean, all these teams are surging right now, whether it's Tampa, Oakland, Cleveland. I mean, even the Brewers in the National League. Like, there's such a difference in September between the haves and the have-nots. Um, and it really comes to the forefront when you can expand your rosters. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to be interesting because, like, the Nationals are in the same position as the Indians in that, Scherzer starting, they've got a doubleheader today. He's starting tonight. And so if the Nationals need him to, he can start game 162. Well, but odds are they won't need him to, and then they can hold him for the wild card game. And so like the Indians can catch a break there. Um, but it's it's the same thing. It's like all the games Sunday start at 3 p.m. Eastern, right? So you don't really know, like, if you enter Sunday tied with the Rays or even even a game up on the Rays, like, yeah. how long of a leash do you give Clevenger? Do you go to your best relievers? Like, like I'm going to assume, obviously, the Indians are going to play to win no matter what, but you're probably making managerial decisions based on 
the ongoing score of another game too, which yeah. is so against everything Terry Francona stands for. And that it's just so fascinating to me. Like I, I, we talked about this briefly in the last podcast, but like I'm dr- I'm dreading that packing for this trip was a freaking nightmare. Let me say that. Like you don't, I'm, I didn't know if I was packing for six days or for 12 days. I didn't know if I was packing for two cities or for five cities. Uh, um, I still managed to stuff everything in the same duffel bag I always use, but it's, it's everything in there is just disgusting and wrinkled and whatever. But, but like, if it's bad for you, imagine what it's like being Mandy Bell of MLB.com, who is so against doing laundry on the road that she just takes her entire wardrobe with her every single time. Well, the only time I did laundry during spring training, I saw an unnamed prominent... What are you doing? A truck's driving by. I'm sitting sounded, outside. sounded like a dying whale. Um, hey, you leave my HBD team out of this. <laughs> The only time I did spring laundry during spring training, I saw a shirtless Cleveland Indians broadcast <laughs> team member. I'll leave it at that. Um, anyway. Really nar- it actually really does narrow it down. Where were we? What were we talking about? Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm so fascinated to see yeah. the day-by-day machinations and just um, what can end up becoming of this. And, and like you said, with, you know, maximizing the rosters, like, I think you're going to see so much of that this weekend. And you see it now, the second wild card, what it's done is you have that wild card game and teams will use like 15 position players and 10 pitchers and they'll just maximize the hell out or capitalize on that, the roster. And so you see that in wild card games too, where you, you can yeah. use nine pitchers in a wild card game. And right. so that, like that helps too. I mean, that way... You know, if Bieber doesn't have it, if they play a tiebreaker game Monday, well, you can go to maybe Savali or Carrasco or keep switching until you find someone who's pitching well. Yeah, it'll be fun uh, or maddening, depending on what end of the spectrum you're on. <laughs> Just I was looking at the, the standings today over in the National League. You're talking about the Nationals and what they might need and the Brewers. My God. It gets to the point where, like, should they have considered injuring Christian Yelich earlier? Because since he's been hurt, they've been amazing. And his replacement's been, like, Christian Yelich. I don't know how that's happened. But uh, small sample sizes, we talked about that when Jose Ramirez got hurt. And what do you know? Jose Ramirez might be back in the lineup as soon as today. Uh, incredible. I don't know what he'll be. I mean, you wrote about it. The, the handmate, you, you don't know if it's going to sap power. You don't know how it's going to impact his timing. But I will take the risk, and clearly the Indians are gr- agreeing with us, or at least agreeing with me, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that the chances of Jose Ramirez being even 50% of Jose Ramirez or 25% of Jose Ramirez is better than the alternatives they were running out in the meantime. Well, what did you – you watched his batting practice session. Yes. Did it look like his power was missing? I mean, I'll be honest. Most times, Jose Ramirez is pretty unimpressive in batting practice. And Indians players have said that in the past when they talked about him playing in the, or participating in the home run derby. Was it Kipnis said they need to run it up there like 100 for him to actually put one over the fence? That It's just not all that impressive when he's taking part in batting practice. I did see him clear the fence at least once in batting practice, but most of the time they're just 
line drives all around the field. And that was pretty typical of what I saw when he did both batting practice and some of like the, the live BP against actual pitching. So, I, I mean, it didn't really look great at the time, but I don't know that I've watched many rounds of Jose Ramirez batting practice and been like, wow, that dude can really rake. I mean, it just, it kind of looked normal to me. Yeah. So Jason Kipnis is having his handmade surgery like right now, as we record this in New York. Um, and I joked with him the other day and I said, all right, so then if the Indians make like the ALCS, since Jose Ramirez came back in three and a half weeks, you'll, <laughs> you'll be ready. Right. And he laughed and he said, yeah, like my body is nowhere near as young and healable as his is. Is that a word? Healable? Healable? Um, no. I don't, I don't uh, but point is like, it's, this is supposed to keep you out. It was supposed to keep him out five to seven weeks. Uh, he's going to come back, I think a couple of days shy of four weeks. And I think they're surprised. I think, Part of it is look at the alternatives. It's like, would you rather have Jose Ramirez at maybe like 60% or Ryan Flaherty at even 200%? I think you'd probably take Jose Ramirez. Um, So the questions I have are, can he play every day? Are they just going to throw him out there six straight days? Can you afford to maybe play him tonight, rest him tomorrow against uh, Ross Detweiler, former Indian? Uh, who's starting for the White Sox. That is probably what I would guess will happen. Does he need a DH at all? Um, and then the main thing is, you know, they've, they've said it's, it's about pain tolerance and strength in your hand. And so can you grip the bat and not feel any pain? Can you have the same strength and, and carry that through your swing? I've heard the more torque in your swing, the more difficult it is. Joey Gallo, who has a lot of torque in his swing, he's been out with this for two months now. And, and the Rangers have said, well, if we were in the race, he probably would have come back a week or two ago, but also probably would not have been at full strength and, and jacking home runs like, like he can. So everybody's different. You certainly don't want to place too many expectations on Ramirez just because the nature of this injury is hitting is not easy afterwards. And guys have said, you know, they haven't felt normal until the next season after they had a couple months off. So it'll be interesting. I mean, it's, it, the lineup looks so different when you have his name between Puig and Reyes instead of Mike Freeman and and Mike Freeman, who's had a hell of a season. You certainly would rather have him hitting ninth than fifth. So it changes a lot. It makes opposing pitchers think more, but at the same time, it's like, you don't want to count too much on him. Yeah, I'm counting the same boat as you. Um, and, and we were talking about a guy that how much have, have people talked to him and raved about how quick Ramirez's hands are. And at times it's been his detriment that maybe they're too quick and he's getting out in front of balls that he should be maybe hitting not as much foul as he does down the line. I mean, I did see him do that once in batting practice where he had one of those patented foul balls down the line hide everybody because it's coming your way quickly type of foul balls. Uh, So that looked very vintage Jose Ramirez, but you know, pain tolerance. I don't, we we don't know. Um, You you don't know how honest he'll be about it too. Uh, I would imagine he'll probably knowing him, he'll just shake it off and whatever, and just go about trying to be himself. But I I don't know. 
No, no, none of us can know, but you're right. You take the the chance that he is still somewhere close to his normal self as opposed to the alternatives that they have. Uh, I pulled, uh, as we push forward, and I think we'll we'll skip random inning of the day because I would imagine we're going to come back at some point later this week and kind of update people on where we're at and what the outlook is. But uh, I did pull some fun facts for you. And I know you just love tribe tidbits, so I figured you would just enjoy this today. Am I am I okay with that? Am I am I spot on? Yeah, I love tidbits. And if you're hankering for a random Indian of the podcast, go back and listen to last week's because we named what thirty one second baseman. <laughs> I think it was thirty two when it was all said 32. and done. Um, and people on Twitter had suggested that we made up half of them, but. I mean, they're on baseball reference, so take it up with them. That would be a fun game if we could I, – like, I list you ten names of former Indians, but three of them are fake, yeah. and you have to name the three. Yes, I look forward to the uh, Indians or state senators game that we'll play at some point. All right, so my first of our – Three fun facts today. Roberto Perez has had an incredible year, both offensively and defensively. Um, I'm not surprised at all with what he's done defensively. I think we all are a little bit surprised with how much power he's flashed this year. But I did feel like, and maybe not to this level, but I did feel like the Indians would be just fine with him behind the plate as the full-time catcher. And I think the only thing I may be worried about is because he had never done it over a full year, could he not? wear down and I mean he's banged all the hell but he's still in there the one thing I did pull away from uh, some doing some research on Roberto Perez he enters today with uh, this is over at Fangraphs 27 defensive runs saved he's been credited with behind the plate uh, which is a gigantic number and a reason why he probably should be the I, I would think is he the favorite for the gold glove behind the plate I mean he certainly has to be a finalist uh, I would it's such a tough thing to. I know. Evaluate. I know, but yeah. God, it, and I, like, I, you, I you never know how people are gonna vote. True, that's true. All right, so he's got 27 defensive runs saved. So I, I pulled it up. You can only go back to 2002 on Fangraphs. The 27 defensive runs saved, most ever by an Indians player, dating back to 2002. Some of the other names on the list. 2008, Franklin Gutierrez. Do you know how many runs Franklin Gutierrez saved in 2008? <laughs> I don't. You don't? Yeah. 23. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. I, I mean, I knew he was a good defender, but I hadn't actually looked. And 23 defensive runs saved he was credited with. Uh, Gomes in 13 saved 21. How about this one? Everyone always thinks of Ronnie Belliard being this pudgy softball playing second baseman. He was credited with 18 in 2005. Uh, and Francisco Lindor, his 2016 season, 17. But Roberto Perez at 27 defensive runs saved. Uh, any Jan surprise Gomes, there? Well, yeah, Jan Gomes in 2013. In 2013, he had 21. Yeah, when he Didn't stepped he play in like for half a season. Yeah, he stepped in for Santana. And he was, obviously he was incredible both offensively and defensively that year. One of his two really, really good offensive years for the Indians behind the plate. Yeah, how about zero pass balls for Roberto Perez uh, this season? Uh, because that is another impressive stat to me. I mean, he's look, we, we've all heard it for years. Pitchers love throwing to him. 
he's so valuable back there and anything he gives you at the plate is just a bonus and that's all great the fact that he's shown some power and um an ability to just not be a black hole in the lineup this year is is another huge lift for the indians but the zero pass balls tells me he's always on the same page with the pitcher you know he's never crossed up he's obviously He's so beat up, and a lot of that is from just throwing his body out there and mm-hmm. absorbing so many curveballs in the dirt or uh, fastballs or foul tips. And so it, everything he's done this year is above and beyond. And it's you think about, if, if I had to say, TJ, give me the top five candidates for Indians MVP this season, I think Roberto Perez would have to be on there. And that's not something anyone would have thought, I don't know, what, nine, ten months ago when they made the trade? Yeah, or at least not as obvious because it would have been anyone paying attention to know what the work he's doing with the pitching staff knows how valuable he is. But, I mean, it's reflected pretty much everywhere that you can make that case for him. Uh, so, yeah, hell of a year for him. And, I mean, you, the zero pass balls, I mean, that's a credit to him defensively, but – like I said, this is his first year where he's the guy pretty much the entire season. Um, I, I thought we would see a little bit more Ploiecki than what, what we've seen, just to kind of take the burden off Perez a little bit. And, I mean, Tito's written Perez uh, probably much more than I would have anticipated entering the year. And for him to have no pass balls when he's as beat up as he is, and imagine, I mean, as many innings as he's caught, to not have just one lapse in the ball entering his vicinity and just have it glance off his glove, like just a momentary one pitch where you're not as you're not paying as as, as much attention as you should, or to be crossed up, and I mean all the the things that could go wrong in one pitch, and for that not to happen, uh, credit to him. So yeah, he's certainly earned the 27 defensive runs saved, and I, I, to me. I, I would have a hard time making a case for anyone other than Perez for a gold glove back there for his work. Staying with the defensive run saved, our second fun fact, Oscar Mercado in center field this year has nine defensive runs saved. And I, I wrote about entering the year that I thought the fact that they would have Leonis Martin playing an above average, not the great defensive center fielder that he once was, but just above average center field defensively would be a difference because the Indians just haven't had that over a full season in so, so, so long. You got glimpses of it with Bradley Zimmer, but I mean, you go back to 2016 and, and Tyler Naquin was just a mess out in center field in his first full year. Um, and so I was thinking about just what that could mean to a pitching staff. And it wasn't Leonis Martin that ended up doing that. It was Oscar Mercado with his nine defensive runs saved. So I looked at Indian center fielders and I was expecting Grady Sizemore to to best this department, but the nine defensive runs saved are the most, again, dating back to 2002 since Sizemore in 05, who also had nine defensive runs saved. And Sizemore did it over a full season. Mercado is doing it over a partial season and also playing some in the corners where he has not graded as well. And I, I figured, you know, for as much as we're kind of noticing Mercado offensively here in the final two weeks, and credit to him, not fading down the stretch. He's been... Uh, swinging the bat as well as anybody right now in the lineup, but also the defense and what that means in, in center field has been, I'm, I'm sure, critical to, to Indians pitchers. Well, somebody tell Keith Olbermann, because Keith Olbermann, who 
99% of his tweets are about dogs that are going to be put down the next day if people don't donate or adopt them. And it breaks my heart every time because Paul Hoynes retweets it every time. <laughs> and it's it, it says, like, like, Fido will be murdered tomorrow. Uh, or Bingo doesn't know why he has to die. And it just breaks your heart. But the 1% of his tweets that aren't dog tweets are about Oscar Mercado not being able to field. It's so bizarre. He must have attended that game at City Field um, where Mercado had some trouble in left field. He dropped the one fly ball. He got into it with the fan on the other one. It's so weird. Let me read this to you. Yeah, this, this is for the... I believe this was the first night against the Mets. Oberman tweeted, unconscionably brain-dead defense two nights in a row from Cleveland. I suppose they can stumble into the postseason, but between Mercado last night and Brad Hand tonight in New York, it's pretty evident the last three months have been a mirage. It's like, since when do you care about the Indians? Since when do you care about sports? The the night before was the night when Mercado struggled in left field against the Mets, and he tweeted, I'm sorry, I've seen him throughout the season. He drops balls with one hand. He drops balls with two hands. If Cleveland makes the playoffs, it'll be in spite of Oscar Mercado, not because of him. He is not (laughs) a major league defender. Uh, Imagine giving time to anybody that doesn't know what they're talking about. So if people listen to this podcast, at least he only has 993,000 followers. Um, if Cleveland makes the playoffs, it'll be in spite of Oscar Mercado. If Cleveland makes the playoffs, Oscar Mercado is a humongous reason why. His September slash line is ridiculous. It is 325, 393, 584. And he was dreadful in August. And we all thought, oh, here he is hitting the rookie wall. Like, it, it made sense given his, his past production. He was never thought to be a plus-plus hitter. Uh, well, actually, he's probably going to be a Rookie of the Year finalist in the American League. He's been a league average hitter this year with the defense you mentioned. Makes him a really, really valuable player, especially since he's a freaking rookie. Like, he's been fantastic defensively. How many diving catches? How many times have we seen his speed allow him to get to fly balls that he has no business getting to? It's He's been huge, and you think about the outfield complexion moving forward and you think about, okay, Bradley Zimmer should be fully healthy next spring and they can finally unleash him. But you know what? Mercado deserves that center field spot. He deserves the starting gig. And and I think Zimmer's just going to have to try to prove he deserves playing time somewhere else. And you think about Greg Allen. I mean, like Mercado has really potentially stunted two other players' careers who the Indians thought could play some sort of significant role. Um, now Greg Allen and Bradley Zimmer are just fighting for scraps. And then, like, Mercado's earned it. And maybe he won't be this good of a player every season. Maybe he's just, he'll be easier to figure out moving forward. But uh, it's it's been really impressive what he's been able to do. Yeah, no argument here. Um, I think you're spot on with the outfield complexion looking so much better moving forward than where it started at the beginning of the year. Um, you have Mercado who is going to get that, that, uh, that chance to continue being the everyday center fielder next year. You mentioned Zimmer, Allen, you have Franmil Reyes, who I suppose 
could get some looks still in the outfield. I, I'm going to imagine they don't want to just make him completely a DH. I mean, that's just what works this year, but I would imagine they give him an opportunity to play some outfield moving forward. And then you look down in the minor leagues, you got Daniel Johnson coming. Jordan Luplo looks like he's a legitimate piece of an outfield. Uh, you've got some parts now to work with. Um, so much would so you, that you play Reyes in the outfield this weekend in Washington. I, it, I would not just plant him on the bench like they did in New York. At least one of those games. Uh, depends on who's pitching, too, I suppose. Um, because the Indians line up against righties right now. Just does not look as potent as it does against lefties because of Jordan Luplo. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think he should be in the outfield at least one game. Um, I mean, I was looking at, he's at, I believe it was minus two outs above average over at, at uh, Baseball Savant, and they, they've put Jake Bowers in the outfield, and he's like at minus seven outs above average. And if we're focusing on defense, and it means getting somebody in the lineup, uh, I mean, I, I, would, I would want Fromil Reyes in there just for what he can do with one swing of the bat. I'll take three to four plate appearances over just one pinch hit appearance. Um, also, the Mercado... Stat took me down an Alex Escobar rabbit hole. So he had <clears throat> four defensive runs saved for the Indians in 2004. Did Escobar. Did you know that I, I didn't, I thought his career ended with the Indians. I didn't know he played again in the major leagues. Did you know he continued to play in the major leagues for one other team? I don't even recall him playing for them in 04. I thought that knee injury in what, yeah. 02? kind of wrecked him yeah well first of all i was reading the quotes from was i came across an ap article for when he injured the i think it was the acl just a tear and shapiro's quote he he must have been sobbing as he was saying that because they were so sad knowing that he was the centerpiece of that roberto alomar trade and how different would that alomar trade look if escobar is oscar mercado who kind of i guess there's some sim similarities there if you look at some of their minor league career. Uh, but I bring it up because he actually played 33 games with the Washington Nationals in 2006 at Alex Escobar. His slash line in 2006, those 33 games, he hit 356, 394, 575 for a 147 WRC+. And he never played again in the major leagues. So what the hell happened? I, I, don't, I don't He was like 27. I believe at the time, 27, 28, somewhere in that range. And that was it. And then I was trying to see, did he have another injury? Because I mean, he had several in his career. He had one when he was 19. He had the, the big one, obviously, with the Indians. And I was trying to find, did, did he have another injury? Because he was signed and released and signed and released by the Nationals for the next two years, but he never played again in the major leagues. And I cannot figure out why he never had another shot. Sounds like a story idea. Or maybe we can do like a serial podcast like, what, what happened to Alex Escobar? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so final stat. This one is for you uh, because it's a Karen check stat. We have three appearances to look at, which is like nothing. But you can see certain things. I mean, how hard a guy's throwing it. Don't need many throws to know that that's probably what he throws. Or uh, how his pitches move. I don't need a ton of pitches. It's not like a a performance stat where I'm going to need 
you know, 50 plate appearances before I even begin to get a glimpse at how a guy's performing, how pitches move and how fast they move. Uh, I don't need that much of a sample size. So I was looking at how his pitches move compared to other guys. And I looked at his four seam fastball, which to kind of help people understand it, when you're talking about movement, vertical movement up and down for four seam fastball, people will talk about rise with the fastball. It doesn't actually rise. It just doesn't fall at the same rate as other pitchers. So if you think a pitch is going to drop a certain point as a hitter and it doesn't drop that fast, it kind of gives the illusion of the ball rising in the strike zone, especially if you live in the upper third, which James Karinchek likes to do. And so he's at 3.6 inches above average with the fastball. In, in other words, his rise, it's 27% more rise versus the average, if you can t- kind of think about it that way. So I was curious how that can, if, if that was his normal, if he was qualified to be on the leaderboard, where he would rank, which is how much rise on the fastball, that would put him second on the leaderboard in the major leagues with Nick Anderson's fastball, who I know some people have made the comparison with Nick Anderson and James Karinchek. Second on the leaderboard as far as rise goes with the fastball. So you can see why he likes to throw the 97-mile-per-hour heater up in the zone. Now you compare that to his curveball, which gets 54.1 inches of drop, according to StatCast. That's 6.4 or 6, 6.5 more than the average. So 14% more than the average drop on the curveball. That would put him eighth on the leaderboard with Walker Bueller's curveball. So you're talking about a guy that his fastball stays up with pretty much elite rise, and it drops with elite drop with the curveball. Is there any question as to why, when he throws the fastball up in the zone and the curveball down in the zone, why he gets the outs that he does? Nope. Uh, I mean, that's, that's it. Like that, That's why he's so effective. Because when the ball is coming, and it seems like it's coming out of his right ear, it's leaving it's at the same plane and then you don't know if it's going to stay there or if it's going to plunge toward the dirt and the problem is if it is going to stay there it's moving 98 miles an hour so you don't have time to figure that out um it's if he has command and so far he has walked zero batters in three appearances for the indians he's really really tough to hit now he gave up a run. He's given up a couple hits. Like it, he's not invincible, and he is a rookie who has three innings under his belt. It's going to take time, but he—he has all the makings of like the sort of high leverage reliever that you dream about. Um, it's just—it's a matter of command, and can you make yeah. sure he's not having one of those wild appearances where he's walking two or three guys and he's throwing thirty pitches and he gets into a mess. Um, it's just about limiting those. And so I, I know I talked to him a little bit. It can only be a little bit because he's so busy with this Trevor Bauer like routine before and after games. Um, and also his answers are usually a word or two. He does not have much to say, which is fine. Um, but he, you know, he warms up in the first inning almost every game and he does it without a ball. And he just practices his motion and stares in at a catcher. And it's just to visualize things. And it's just so that when he does warm up for real and then heads out onto the field, he's not seeing that target for the first time. And he started this last year at the beginning of the season because in his first outing at Lake County, he walked two batters. He was ticked off. 
tried this out the next game on a whim. It worked for him. He's kept it ever since. He does it every day. So you'll see him um, like pretending to throw a baseball in the first inning in the bullpen, and you're, you're sitting in the stands watching this, and you're like, what is this weirdo doing? And it's, No, it's, it's, it's to help him. It's to help his command. It's to help him kind of get in that setting before he actually gets in that setting. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, I'm sure like with Trevor Bauer too, like your routine when you have something that's so different from the norm and he does all, tons of other stuff that I don't even know about behind the scenes. It's the guy's always busy. Um, but it's interesting to see when you get to the majors, how that routine gets tweaked, what you learn, how quickly you learn what you need to do. But it's exciting, and you think about the bullpen. I mean, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but imagine if they had called him up a few weeks earlier, and by now they were using him in more high-leverage situations. And at the end of games, you could go Carrasco, Karen, check Brad Hand. That's nuts. Um, so we'll see if Karen check pitches in any meaningful situations. I'm kind of skeptical on that. Um, but... At least you have Carrasco in hand, and you can mix in Oliver Perez and Nick Goody, I guess. Tyler Clippard. Yeah, guys guys who are clearly not doing it quite in the same way that Karinczak does. Uh, I'll be curious to see because his pitch, the pitch profiles that he has, they don't really move side to side. It's all up and down. So is that something that he's going to eventually have to make an adjustment? Will he ever have to? introduce a pitch that has a little bit more side-to-side horizontal movement as opposed to everything that just works so well vertically? Or is the fact that he's tunneling the curveball off the fastball and he's doing what he's doing, is that just enough? Is that going to work? The fact that he doesn't, that he has such a unique delivery that it's so unlike anybody else and he only faces hitter one time, I'm sure that works to his advantage too. But, uh, I mean, it's going to be fun to kind of see his his career unfold here because it, it certainly looks like he's got the, the makings of uh, exactly the sort of, of profile you'd want from a back-end pitcher. There's no doubt about it. And I'm sure other teams are watching and looking at him and salivating at the thought of being able to put him in their bullpen and the Indians going to be able to mm-hmm. do it for the next uh, six, seven years if all goes well. Yeah. I mean, it, it's – it changes a lot of things because even though their bullpen was, it definitely blew away everyone's expectations. Um, I know they had struggles over the last few weeks and Brett hand didn't have a great second half, but like you still want the elite stuff. That's easier to bet on in a larger sample than hoping that deploying Perez, Goody, Wickren, Clippard, Tyler Olson, all those guys over the course of six months is going to keep working out for you. So at least, you know, if you have a kid like Karen Check who's got really good stuff and projects to really good numbers over a full season, um, that's it's one thing you don't have to worry about. And I, I'm interested to see what they do. I'm interested to see if they shop Brad Hand at all this winter. Um, and if they don't, if they keep him and Brad Hand doesn't go through a random period of tired arm for a couple months, that's a really nice one-two punch at the back 
and it makes life a little easier on the guys in front of them. Yeah. But, you know, maybe if they would have called him up earlier, he would have blown some games and they would already be out of the race. So I can go the other way. Okay. Well, I think they should just <laughs> never call anybody up. Yeah, that would be the, the ideal thing. Uh, any parting words before we get out of here? No, I don't want this to come off as like lecturing. Um, I'm bad at this too. And I know the last, this is so different than the last few seasons. And I know some people have just been disenchanted with the Indians ever since the off season and enjoy him comments. Um, but this is so different this week and being in this race. There are a lot of parallels to 2013. And I know it's the anniversary of your excellent Jason Giambi walk-off home run piece. Um, but I hope everyone can kind of dive head first into this week and just go along for the ride because there's a chance things can get absolutely nutty. And, but like, I don't even know how I would approach a tiebreaker <laughs> game or a game 162 that could force a tiebreaker game. Just, like, stuff like that that could make this week pretty memorable. Um and maybe take your mind off of uh, Freddie Kitchen's play calling. Hey, we're out of here, everybody. See ya. <laughs>